when I began this uh, study in Psalm 107 uh, three weeks ago, uh, the coronavirus was uh, just a little problem over in China. Uh, that's how much things have changed over the last two or three weeks. I did not pick this out in uh, anticipation of us being where we were this week or where we are today. Uh, but in the providence of God, God knew what was coming. Uh, so today I'm going to be preaching on this section of the psalm, Psalm 107, that says that God sent His Word and healed them. Let's stand together as we read the Word of God this morning. Verse 17, Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they grew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. May God bless the reading of His Word today is my prayer. <clears throat> you may be seated. Thank you. Uh, this morning we returned into this great psalm. And we've already seen how that God responded to people in their times when they were lost and searching and trying to find their way. And they cried out to Him and He heard them. Uh, we've seen them cry in their need for salvation. We saw that last week and how that God heard them. And today we're going to be looking at sickness. Next week it is going to be that we cry in our storms. And we see this general chorus repeated four times in Psalm 107. In addition to our text, verse 6, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. Verse 28, Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that His waves are still. Each of these passages, including our text today, has a they and a then. They, then, they cried unto the Lord. Then, they cried. And so there is a specific group of people mentioned in each one of them and a specific set of circumstances and so this morning, we'll get right to it by first of all describing the people themselves, fools, fools. That's how the passage begins. This is a group of people that God calls fools. This is a strong Old Testament word. It indicates an extreme situation, and it's used often. Sometimes, like in Psalm 1, God said, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. We have other times where it's used in a more generic sense, as it is in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let me quickly point out to you this morning that if God calls a man a fool, he's a fool. That would have been a great place for an amen. So since I didn't get it the first time, I'll say it again. If God calls a man a fool, he's a fool. Amen. That's the truth. Uh, and so we have that in this statement. God is absolutely reliable, and this is not simply Old Testament stuff. Jesus himself told the story of a very prosperous farmer. 
He had harvested a bumper or was about anticipating the harvest of a bumper crop. He was exceeding his storage capacity, and so he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger barns, and all of these things was a perfectly legitimate response. Uh, But then he added something else. He said, I will say, verse 19, to my soul. This is in Luke chapter 12, verse 19. I will say to my soul, to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? Jesus gave in the application, so is he. So is he what? A fool. Who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The farmer was not a fool because he was blessed. He was not a fool because he was wealthy. He was not a fool because he had laid up provisions for himself and for his family. He was a fool because his heart did not have one ounce of thanksgiving in it for all of God's blessings. He was a fool because he had done nothing to lay up in store for eternity. Perhaps most importantly, he was a fool because he came to the conclusion that because he was physically blessed, he must be eternally prepared. But physical blessings do not equate is not equal to eternal preparation. Listen, there is only one way to be uh, prepared for eternity, and that is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And it doesn't matter how much money we might have, how much we might have accumulated, how much property we might have, uh, how much grain we might have stored in our barn, or in modern terms, how much food we've got in our refrigerator and freezer. I don't care if you got five freezers at home, and you got enough food, you say, for five years. Good for you. Good for you. But that doesn't mean you're ready for eternity. You can have all those things and still not have made the most important decision of all. We talk about doing first things first. And what is first? But making preparation for eternity. Now, there's a lot of ways then that God identifies people as being fools. They can be fools by believing that the universe created itself uh, and that there is no God. They can be fools to despise God's wisdom and God's teaching for how to live our life. They can be fools by thinking they provided everything that they need when they have not provided for their eternal soul. A lot of ways that God looks down and sees people who are fools. And so that's who they are. Then we'll see their problem. Fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities. Uh, God was very forthcoming in what was happening uh, to people and what uh, was going on in the lives of, of the audience that he addresses in Psalm 107. And he is no less forthcoming in this situation as he was in all the others or will be in the last that we'll see next week if God permits. And uh, he mentions their transgressions. This is an Old Testament word for sin that means to rebel or to trespass, as it's translated here, or to transgress. It refers doing things to doing things or going places that God has forbidden us to go to or to do. It is a violation of God's law. It generally involves willful sin. 
There are many things that are possible, things that are available to us in this world that God says, don't go there. Just don't go there. Don't do those things. There were times in the Old Testament where God sent an angel to prohibit people, to keep people from doing something foolish. We remember famously the prophet Balaam who was on his way to curse Israel and God sent an angel to block his way. Remember that's the time when uh, one of the donkeys was able to speak. And, uh, and, and that dumb donkey began to speak and warn the prophet because the donkey could see the angel and he couldn't which was a rather interesting situation. I can't explain all the theology of that, folks. All I can just tell you, that's what happened, okay? God sent an angel to stop him from doing something stupid. Do you get my point? That is very, very rare. Wouldn't it be great if God sent an angel to stop us from doing something stupid every time we were thinking about it? Wouldn't that be great? But it was very rare in the Old Testament. We don't see any example of it all in the New Testament. God instead tells us that certain things are forbidden. Certain things God commands us to stay away from and not to do. And when we insist on doing them anyway, we are transgressing God's commandment. God calls us fools when we do that. Because when you think about it, we are despising the rules given to us by the almighty God of the universe. And in essence saying, God, I don't care what you say. Either I know better than you, or I'm going to do what I want to. That's a transgression. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 gives us a threefold test. I'm just going to give this to you this morning. Uh, we don't have time to talk about it much. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. This is a threefold test in this passage of whether I should do something or not. Number one, we ask, is it lawful? That is, is it legal? Guys, if it's not legal, don't do it, okay? No. If, if we do it anyway, uh, then we have violated the law, and God tells us not to do that. He says, oh, obey the laws of the land. Uh, now, there might be a little bit of fudging in there on God's part for the speed laws. I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. <clears throat> no, we probably ought to, we need to obey them better than we do. But let's just understand God tells us to obey the law of the land. So, is it lawful? That's number one. Uh, that handles a lot of things. If it's against the law, don't do it. Uh, but uh, then some things are legal for us, but they're not good for us. And that's the second thing then. Is it going to help me? Is it going to improve my life? There are a lot of things that are legal to do that are not helpful and that are not good. And so if we had to look at it and said, you know, this is not going to improve my life at all. It's not going to help me at all. So it's probably something that I need to get away from. The third thing that we need to ask is, can I control it? Or is it something that is going to control me? Now, what controls you may not control me, and what uh, controls me may not control you. Uh, we all have things that uh, we are susceptible to. But if it is something that is going to control us, or that does control us, begin to dominate us, something that we're addicted to, something that we can't control. We all know about the Surgeon General's warnings. Folks, these are God's warnings. If it's lawful, if it's not lawful, if it's illegal, if it is not helpful, if it is something that is taking control of my life, then these are things I need to avoid. 
transgressions. He also goes on and mentions their iniquities. This is another Old Testament word. It means to make crooked, perverse, or to go in the wrong direction. Uh, God tells us to go this way, we go this way, we get off track, we go the wrong way, we, we move away. Isaiah talked about that famously in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, and he used this exact same words why I brought it up. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone aside to his own way. There it is, and the Lord has laid on us, on him, the iniquity of us all. Iniquities. When we have gone astray, when we have gone the wrong way, and so we see the people, the people are those God called fools. We see what their problems were. Uh, they had transgressed the law of God or the rules of God. They had wandered from God in their iniquities. Now look at the physical effects. In this case, the physical effects are things we don't have to read very far to know what it is. They were afflicted. They were sick. This is where we'd get to what we call the symptoms. They were sick. The word in Hebrew refers to a person who is bowed down or weakened or humbled, or as it is here, afflicted. It describes the general state then of a person who is sick. They're weak. Now, you and I generally can notice that. We can see that even. And it just shows up on their countenance, their attitude, the way they walk, the way they carry themselves. You can see it. Ask their medical professionals. Can you tell? How many times have you seen somebody and asked them, are you sick? Are you okay? And I get asked that a lot. And I just tell people, no, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> that probably wasn't funny. I shouldn't have said that. It was kind of funny, but... Um, that general state of weakness is associated with, we with illness. Now remember, in Bible times, they didn't have a name for every disease that came along. They didn't know what they were. You just got sick. And that, now some of their diseases were named. They had leprosy, but uh, some of the things, they call it things that are ancient names. because They kind of passed uh, out, of, out of the historical narrative because we now call them other things. And other names. Uh, remember uh, one of the most terrible illnesses that ever affected humanity. They simply called the plague. The plague. Uh, they didn't know what all the illnesses were. They just knew that people got sick. So let me talk about that with you for a moment. It's a good time for us to remind ourselves that if it weren't for sin, there would be no sickness. Period. Sickness is a product of the fall. Adam and Eve were created in perfection, in sinlessness. They lived in a perfect world, and man fell. And as a result of the fall, then came the curse. And the curse was the curse that included sickness and death. It's not God's intent or God's plan. And so we can say right up front, there'd be no sickness if it wasn't for sin. But this does not mean, does not mean 
that every time somebody gets sick, it's due to some sin in their life. Remember, that's what Job's three friends, and with friends like Job had, we don't need enemies. That's what Job's three friends kept saying to him. We know you wouldn't be sick and suffering like this unless you had some secret sin going on in your life. So Job, you just might as well cut. Uh, come on, fess up. We know something's wrong. Listen, every time somebody gets sick, it does not mean that they have some sin in their life. But with that said, every time we get sick, we can blame it on sin. If it weren't for sin in this world and the curse of sin, there would be no sickness, period. There'd be no death. We do know, however, that some behaviors, some things, and especially sinful things, have predictable effects on us and can make us sick. And so let me just go ahead and get the big one, and I chose that, that word uh, advisedly. Let me get the big one right up front, obesity. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, do I have a problem with obesity? Yes, I am overweight. I am. I know it. Uh, I've struggled with it. My metabolism is slowing down. I'm not going to make excuses. I could make them for a long, long time. But the fact is, uh, obesity, eating to excess, can cause a lot of health problems. Diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, general lack of good health, loss of mobility. The list goes on, folks. The list goes on. We know it. Add to the list, smoking, dipping, chewing, alcohol to excess, all kinds of illegal and addictive drugs affect us in ways that we know about and ways that we don't know about. We add to that pollutions and chemicals and preservatives. And we know these things are dangerous, but we regularly ignore the danger and go right on along, knowing that these things can make us sick. Am I telling the truth this morning? I am telling the truth. And I'm not just sitting up here with my fingers shaking at you because remember, I started with the big one. And that's my own problem. Some of you don't have that. I understand and God bless you. Um, I may not have some of the things that you struggle with. But I can tell you this, we do know that sometimes specific sins can make us sick. So follow my thinking here. Number one, there'd be no sickness in the world were it not for sin. Number two, sometimes specific sins have specific effects. They can make us sick. Diabetes, cancer, heart attacks, a lot of these things come to us as a result of what we know is dangerous behavior. We know it. But then there's a third thing. God sometimes brings pestilences, as they're called in Scripture. We call them epidemics today. Pestilences sometimes are brought by God. I just got a couple of passages. I could have brought up a dozen. Second Chronicles 20 and 9. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we call it a drought. We will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. It was at the dedication of, of, of the temple in the Old Testament and the promise that God had gave to them that his name would be in that temple. And when, he, when they would gather together in a time then of national calamity and call upon God, then God would hear them. And one of the things that they might be calling to God about Pestilence. 
Then I've got a tough passage for us to look at today. Really tough. It's still in the Bible. It's not hard to understand. And just because it's tough doesn't mean we don't need to look at it. Jeremiah 14 and 10. Thus says the Lord to his people, Thus they have loved to wonder. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Then the Lord said to me, that's the prophet Jeremiah, Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offering, grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. If you were to ask me, Brother Rich, could this epidemic we are currently experiencing be God's judgment on America, on the world at large? I would honestly answer, I don't know. I don't know. But considering the things this country and the world has been doing for the last 50 years, if it isn't God's judgment, or if it is, I think we could all say, we certainly deserve it. We certainly deserve it. Say, now wait a minute. If God is going to judge us, won't he just judge the really wicked crowd so that God's people would be immune? Jeremiah wasn't immune. Uh, Jeremiah died, as far as we know, in Egypt. He was spared the Babylonians in captivities, but multitudes of Israel were not. Many of God's people, good people, even the remnant, ended up in slavery in Babylon. God said, I'm going to consume them by the war, by the invasion. It would be all the whole nation, the whole nation would be taken out of their land and would serve as slaves in Babylon for 70 years. Not all of those people were really bad people. A lot of them were good, godly people who loved, Jesus, loved the Lord and tried to serve Him and tried to follow Him. That's a sobering passage. I warned you it was. Well, the psalm goes on. we got some good news to get to, so y'all hang with me for just a moment. The psalmist goes on to say not only they were afflicted, but they abhorred then all manner of food. Loss of appetite is one of the major signs of sickness. We know that if our dog, our kids, or our spouses lose their appetite, they're probably sick. Last symptoms then God describes is that they draw near the gates of death. The gates of death, the gates of the grave, as it's sometimes called, the gates of hell or the gates of Sheol are often referred to in Scripture and they obviously happen or refer to what happens when a person dies. So drawing near to the gates uh, of death or the gates of the grave or the great gates of Sheol or the gates of hell uh, simply referred to the fact that they were close to death. Now, it's my obligation to tell you this morning that death is not the end of anyone's story. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 tells us, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, after this, death is not the end of anybody's story. 
After this a judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We know that for some people it takes a brush with death to get them to think about spiritual things. Few decisions are more dangerous. I can't think of any decision that is more dangerous than to wait to make a decision about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege of leading the people to Christ while they were dying. I've had the burden of witnessing people who were in comas. I hope that in some part of their mind there was a consciousness that they could not respond. Medical professionals tell us that happens occasionally. And I hope that they were able to hear the gospel and maybe were able to respond. My point in bringing this up to you today is to warn you, brothers and sisters, to warn you about your friends, your family, other people that you're thinking about. Man, I need to witness to them. Don't wait too long. You never know what's going to happen. We might have something happening like we have happening right now. And an epidemic swoops down upon us. Who knows? Uh, so many people, though, end up waiting. Some will wait too long. Multitudes never get that chance. But thank God that right here in this passage we have proof positive that that person can get to the gates of death. And it might take that for God to get their attention. And even if they're at the gates of death, if they'll call on the Lord, God will hear them. There's only one way to be saved, folk, and that doesn't involve some preacher or some priest praying over you the last few seconds that you're alive. The only way to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So we've got the people, the problem, the physical effects, the symptoms. Last, we see the great physician. So he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He sent his word. It is not coincidental or incidental that one of the titles given to Jesus Christ in Scripture is the word. John did that in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. God sent his word. The word was made flesh. He'll go on in that same chapter and say, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God sent His Word, and that Word is Jesus Christ, the embodiment of the Word of God. Here in Psalm verse 107, we see this play out because it is the very Word that they had despised when the, in their transgressions, the very Word that they had rebelled against in their transgressions, the very Word that they had rejected, the very Word that they strayed from in their iniquities, the very Word that they turned their back on, the very Word that they walked away from is the very same Word that God sends to save them. Let me tell you something. You can reject Jesus Christ today, but still there is no other way to be saved than by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We might reject Him, rebel against Him, refuse Him, ridicule Him, mock Him, whatever. But it's not like God says, well, you don't like this plan. Let me give you another one. No, He's going to bring you right back to that same one. That's the way it works. 
And that's exactly what he says here. They had rejected God's word, so what did he send them? His word. His word to heal them and to save them. I can't promise you today that if you're sick, that you can call on the name of the Lord. And I'm talking about physically sick. But you can call on the Lord and He will send His word to heal you of your physical sickness. I can't promise you that. I wish I could. I wish I could. But I can promise you that if you are lost today, you can call on Jesus and He will save you from your sins. Not one person, not one, has ever called on the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. But He said, no, not going to save you. Doesn't happen. If He healed you of your sickness... I hate to give you the bad news today. You'd get sick again. <laughs> you will. We all hope that we're going to go out with a shout, that we're going to hear that voice from heaven that we don't recognize, but we'll recognize it. Before we have time to answer, we're going to be gone. We all want to go out with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. But aside from the rapture, we're all going to get sick and die or die suddenly. It's going to happen. And if God were to heal you today, you'd get sick again. I've often wished that God would have told us the rest of Lazarus' story. I wondered what it was like when he got sick again. <laughs> I mean, he got sick one time. They sent to Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick. He's dying. Would you come and heal him? Jesus didn't go. He died. But you know how that story happened. He called him back. And what a glorious time when Lazarus, all bound up in that tomb, come hopping out of that tomb, and Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. It's one of my favorite sermons in the whole Bible to pray. Loose him and let him go. Death doesn't have any hold on him. But Lazarus got sick again. You can't, you're not going to go somewhere over there. You can look all you want to. You're not going to find Lazarus still walking around over there 2,000 years old. I'm sorry he's not there. He died. He got sick. So I'm telling you, even if he raised you from the dead, you get sick again. You die again. But when he saves you, listen to me this morning, when he saves you, he saves you forever. That's why Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Last sin are the praises. Verse 21, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. We can do that. We can testify. We can declare His works. We can say, Thank you, Jesus, because I was dying in my sins and You sent Your Word, Your Jesus, to save me and to give me everlasting life. But there's more to that story. If you've ever been sick and got better, you can say, thank you, Jesus. 
You pray for yourself when you're sick, and you want other people to pray for you sick. Why? Because the Scripture commands it. James chapter 5 and verse 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let me tell you something this morning. We want people praying because prayer matters. Prayer matters. Every time I read that passage, somebody asks me about that anointing with oil stuff. I might surprise you today when I tell you uh, that uh, I have been asked from time to time to pray over people and anoint them with oil. And you know what I did? I prayed over them and anointed them with oil. Why? Because the Bible says it. I'll hold up my iPad. It's right there in black and white. All right. Now, what does that mean? Does the oil heal them? Absolutely not. The anointing with oil is a symbol. It's all it is. It's like baptism is a symbol. Lord's Supper is a symbol. The anointing with oil was a symbol. It represented an act of consecration. Everything that was anointed in oil in the Old Testament economy was something that was declared consecrated unto the Lord. You see, God doesn't want to just heal us so we can go back and waste our healing on the world. Why would we ask God to heal us? If all we're going to do is continue on in our sins. So the anointing with oil was a representation. Listen, I'm consecrating and dedicating my life to the Lord. However much I've got left. God, I want to live it for you. I've been asked a few times to do that. I explain what it means. And I do that. Have I seen people get better when I did that? Yes. I've seen a lot of people get better that I didn't do that for. But it's in the Bible. And if someone asks, they don't volunteer. But if someone asks, we can do that. The Bible says to do it. But understand, it's just a symbol. What is it doing? It is reminding us that our life belongs to God. And our life is in His hands. And now I'm sick. And God, if you want to prolong my life, I want to live it for you. That's why James mentioned those things about sin in James chapter 5 that you'll see right there. Confessing our sins and God forgiving us of our sins. That's why it's all in there. All right. Before we go today, and we're almost done, and I know it's past 11 o'clock, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8 says this. Great passage of Scripture. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, for we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. This is Paul's personal testimony of while he was in Asia. We were troubled. We were sick. I thought I was going to die. That's what he means. I despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That means Paul said, I've already made up my mind. I, I knew I was going to die. I was ready for it. We have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Then look at verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth, doth deliver us 
in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also help and gather in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul said, I was, I was done. I thought I was dead. I had already made up my mind that I was dead. I, I, I'd already prepared myself for it. No way out. We don't know what was going wrong with Paul, whether he was sick or whether he was in prison or whether he's been attacked or whether we don't know what the situation was, but whatever it was, Paul said, I already made up my mind. I'm going to die. But God delivered me, he said. And he still delivers me. <laughs> and he will deliver me from death. If this was a tennis match, folks, we'd call that point set and match. Okay, game set and match, rather. Game set and match. He delivered me. He is delivering me right now. And I know that he will deliver me. That is the essence of our faith. Death doesn't win. God has delivered us, is delivering us, and will deliver us from the power of death. Isn't that great news? I wasn't alive then. I don't think very many of you were. It was back in 1932 and 33 when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected president. In his first inaugural address to the nation, he made the following rather immortal, famous statements. He said, I'm certain that my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our nation impels. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Franklin D. Roosevelt. The president considered the terrible plight of this country in the midst of horrible economic conditions. The stock market had crashed, sound familiar? Prolonged drought was turning our country into a dust bowl. The stock market was down, starvation was rampant, money was impossible to find, jobs were scarce, banks were closed. The nation was in deep trouble. Yet Roosevelt very accurately and famously said, the thing to be feared the most was not all those circumstances. The thing to be feared the most was unreasoning, unjustified, paralyzing fear. Fear. I had often wondered why that Roosevelt would say that. <laughs> I'd all, quite honestly, until this last week, I had often mocked that statement. The only thing we had to fear is fear itself. Uh, but I've seen fear at work this last week. And you have too. Folks, this is a time for our faith. I told my Sunday school class this morning, we'll close up with this and we're done. John, I've got to quit. John chapter 14, 
Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Do what? Believe in God. You believe in God? Believe also in me. And the opposite of letting our hearts be troubled, the opposite of letting our hearts be paralyzed with fear is to believe God, to trust in God. He has delivered us from so great a death, and He does deliver, and we trust that He will yet deliver us. What a time for our faith to shine. What a time for us to say, like the old patriarch Job said long ago, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. If I die, I'm going to die in faith. I'm going to die believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that my God loves me. I want to ask you this morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Thank God for these two young ladies who made their profession of faith in Christ today, who followed Him in the ordinance of baptism. That baptism did not save them. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ saved them. Have you done that? Maybe this morning you have something on your heart and mind. Maybe you're struggling with sickness, and many of you are. And uh, a battle, a great battle is ahead of you. But I'm glad to be able to tell you, you're going to win that battle if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will win. Because death has no power over the believer in Jesus Christ. I've said it many times before. I know I've got to go. I've got to go. Listen. One of these days, you, you might pick up a newspaper or read it online or hear somebody call you and say, Oh, Brother Rich has died. It may not be very long before, from now. Don't you believe a word of it? When they tell you I died, I hadn't died. I just changed locations. I close my eyes on this world. I open them in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that makes me what I am goes right on to the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body, the Bible says, present with the Lord. Death has no power over the believer in Christ. This is the time for our faith to shine as lights. Let's stand.